Let's turn to the scriptures this morning. Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. Luke, chapter 24. Beginning to read at verse 1. Our filter here on our projector, away up there, needs dusted and blown out. That's what the sign came up for. We're going to have to try and get that fixed before tonight, so we'll probably be looking at hymn books as we close. Um, we're having a bit of a problem with that, so we'll see what we can do. Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, please. We end to read at verse 1. Now upon the first day of the week, early in the morning, they came unto the sepulchre, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulchre, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed about thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day arise again. And they remembered his words. We know the Lord will bless the reading of his own word again in public, but that's just by and a word of prayer. Eternal Father, we just thank you this morning that we can rejoice and glorify you because of who you are. And thank you this morning, Lord, for your precious word. Your word that is quick and it's living, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And we thank you this morning, Lord, that your word will speak to hearts as you see fit for it to speak. And it will accomplish that whereunto you have sent it. We thank you this morning, Lord, that we have a case not only for the death of the Lord Jesus, but for the resurrection of your Son. We ask you, Father, now that you would take all that is said this morning and that you would glorify your name. We worship you and we love you and we thank you, Lord, that the tomb is empty and we serve a risen Savior. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory that you would touch hearts this morning. Amen. When we read Luke chapter 24, and you think of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, you think of the disciples that ran to the tomb. And as they ran to the tomb, there are two men, and they're in white garments, or shining garments, as it says in our reading. And the disciples become afraid of these two men, as I suppose naturally you and I would, for these two angelic beings standing before them. And they bow themselves to the ground and trembling with fear, they're asked a question. I wouldn't like to have to try and answer something or someone whenever you're put into a tremendous fear where you're trembling like a leaf. But they ask a question that says, Why seek ye the living among the dead? Then they have an exclamation. They say they proclaim that he is not here. He is risen. And that morning was a, such a momentous morning. It was a morning of doubt and fear 
It was a morning of stress and anxiety. And it led to a, a few days even after this where the disciples didn't realize what's going to happen next. Two on the road to Emmaus become perplexed and start walking away from Jerusalem. The disciples are meant to be going to Galilee and yet they still find that they haven't fully taken in and received the word of the Lord and believed him for what he said. For again it was mentioned to them, he'll meet you at Galilee. The women who first came to the tomb were told that the Lord was risen. Mary was there. Mary, Mary runs to the to the disciples to tell them that the Lord is risen indeed and that he will meet us in Galilee. It's as though the disciples hear the word but don't receive the word of God. Let's be honest, brother, sister. Many of us are like that. Many times God has spoken to your heart. Many times the word of God has either brought you to a place of yielding or a place where you need to straighten your life up or a place where you need to believe him for better things, for greater things. You need to believe him even for the healing of a body or for the entrusting on on him for something else. And we hear the word with the outer ear, as it were, but with the inner ear or the heart, it never seems to fully drop into the being. So we don't carry out that which the Lord has said. We're told after these two men stand before uh, uh, these two men stand before the disciples who are seeking the Lord in their shining garments. We're told in verse eight that the disciples then remembered His words, the words of the Lord Jesus. They remembered what he had said. Imagine walking and talking and living and following the Lord Jesus Christ for three and a half years. Sermon on the Mount and they hear, they hear him preaching. Imagine them hearing the Lord Jesus teaching all the wonderful truths of the kingdom of God. Imagine seeing him healing the sick and the lame walking and the, the blind seeing and the deaf hearing and the dumb speaking. Leprosy is cleansed and the demons are cast out. And all that he's saying about these things and all that he is teaching about them. Imagine being with him all that time. And you can't believe him now to meet you in Galilee. We're still like that, aren't we? We're still like that. The amount of times that the Lord has spoken to us in private devotion in his word. The amount of times that the Lord has spoken to us, not only in private devotion, but in through confirmation of the word he has spoken to you through another avenue or person. And you know it is the Lord. Sometimes, whenever we were unsaved, the Lord had to speak to us in numerous ways and in different avenues. And you knew, knew with a conviction in your heart that God was drawing you. God was dealing with you. Maybe you'd walked away from God for years, but God still had his hand in you. And you knew it was him. And yet you didn't remember his words too long. We quickly forget the word of the Lord. Israel were like that the whole way through the wilderness. They forgot the word of the Lord. One of the things that Jesus taught the disciples was that he would die. Now they saw this. We're going to look at this. They saw that he was dead. They saw that he had went to a tomb. And now they're in a tomb. They find that the tomb is empty. And these two men in shining garments are there. And even at this point, they have to say, why? Why are you coming to a place where the dead bodies are? Why are you coming to a place that is lifeless? 
Why are you coming to a place to find the living one? Why are you here? Why doubt his word? Brothers and sisters, can I ask you this morning, are you still doubting God? Are you still doubting not only that God can help you, that God is with you, that God will succor you in your hard times, that God can change your life and your circumstances and your problems and your fears? Are you still doubting God for things? I think if we're honest, we doubt God and we doubt the Lord in many ways, even in the little ways. When things look and seem impossible, we doubt him. Doubts come to our hearts and to our minds and even doubts in our faith at times when we see things that are happening around us. We wonder why we can't explain. We pray about it. It seems like there's no answer from heaven and we start to doubt. Let us go back to the word of the Lord, back to this book. And let us really search and seek through this book and see what God says. And see what God tells us. And let us put it into action, for it is God's word and not man's. And it's God's word to you. When a preacher preaches, a teacher teaches to you, and you're sitting under a ministry, uh, and you hear something from God, do you say, that's great, I'm encouraged, I'm delighted, I'm built up, I'm helped, I've been strengthened? Do you rejoice and be glad and give glory? And then suddenly, in and through all of that, when you go out the doors and you go home and you make your tea on a Sunday afternoon or a Sunday night, you get on the tea and the toast and you put up the feet and you're just thinking of work the next day on the Monday morning. God's word is forgotten about. What about when someone speaks a, a word of life into you and you hear from God's word and God's word tells you a certain thing you've been asking for or praying about and you receive it in a meeting and you go home and by the time you go home you you forget all about it and the fowls of the air have come and picked the word of God out of your heart as it were or the cares of this life have choked it brothers and sisters let's be careful let's be truthful and let's be honest that when we leave here That the word of God will find a lodging place in our hearts this morning. This morning we want to look at how these disciples had seen the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he also told them that he would rise again. And maybe there's been an impossible situation. The death of something, the death of some hope, the death of some desire in your life. And you see it, it's almost as though it's wrapped up, buried in a tomb, behind a great stone. Well, let me tell you this morning, Jesus is able to still resurrect your hopes, your dreams, your plan, and your life. He is the resurrection. And he is the life. The word resurrection, let's look at the death of our Lord, for this is the case of his death. You see, If our Lord didn't really die, I mean die as dead as dead as dead could be. I mean die become lifeless. If he didn't do that, then there is no case for the resurrection. And if there is no case for the resurrection and Jesus didn't die, then we're still in our sin this morning. If Jesus didn't die and Jesus wasn't resurrected, then you might as well go down to the pub. If 
For our faith is in vain. It comes to nothing. There is no heaven. There is no hell. We'll just die and go to the grave. But Jesus did die. And Jesus was and is resurrected from the dead. The word resurrection in Chambers Dictionary is defined like this. Resurrection is a rising from the dead. A rising from the dead. But also it means to be resuscitated. Gives the idea of resuscitation. So what happens is men come along with their intelligence, with their theological mindsets, and they come with their inabilities to rightly divide the word of truth, and they come with their modernism, and they come with their higher criticism, and they say, Jesus never died. Jesus didn't die on the cross. He swooned, as it were. He he fainted. So it was a resuscitation from a, 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 a fainting fit. It was a resuscitation from a swooning action. It was a resuscitation from a coma. And there is their reason for saying this, that it was impossible for Jesus to be raised from the dead. For the word resurrection can mean resuscitation. So when we speak of resuscitation, or resurrection rather, of the Lord Jesus Christ, does it have its full import? Does it have its full meaning? Did Jesus really die and then really rise from the dead? Or did he swoon on the cross, resuscitate and show himself alive? To have a case for the truth of the the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to have a case for the proof of the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me please to Matthew's Gospel chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. This will be like a bit of a Bible study here as we look at this. Matthew chapter 27. And let your eye run down with me please. To verse 54. Here is the crucifixion of our Lord. Not taking into account if you take and get the CDs or you can go online or iTunes or whatever you want to do. And you can get our series Golgotha to Golgotha. One, two, and three. We looked at the, the the whipping post. We looked at the beating, the mocking, the scorning. We looked at how our Lord uh, was in Gethsemane before that. We looked at his trial and his crucifixion. Now he's on the cross with all of the gore, all of the blood, all of the pain and the shame and the agony and your sin and my sin and his own body on the tree. And look at Matthew 27 and verse 54. Now when the centurion and they that were with him, watching Jesus saw the earthquake, and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Now here is a tale tale sign that Jesus really and truly died. Here is the sign, brothers. Listen to this, sister. I want you to know that when you talk to people you'll be able to tell them these things. Here is the sign. If you were to uh, go to, now don't turn with me now, go to Luke 25 and verse 47. We're told in Luke 25 that the centurion 
was on his own. Just mentions the centurion. It doesn't mention the crowds around him, but of course there were crowds, but it mentions the centurion. And he says of our Lord when he dies, this was a righteous man. Of course then when you go to Mark chapter 15 and verse 39, also just the centurion says, this was the Son of God. And here in Matthew's gospel, he says that, now when the centurion and they that were with him, notice, not on his own. There's a crowd. So the idea is here that the centurion and the crowd are standing around and, and they see our Lord Jesus Christ hanging on a cross and he expires his last breath. He cries, it is finished. And he commits his spirit to his father. He lays his head on a pulseless breast and he gives up the ghost and dies. Now the centurion sees it, and all around it see it, and there seems to be a conversation. Maybe the centurion is saying to one, and one to him, and to another one. What do you think of him? He is the son of God, or he was the son of God, or he was a righteous man. There's a conversation going on around the foot of the cross, of whom this blessed one was, that hung on the cross, bleeding and dying in agony, with such love. The people are really starting to talk about him. There's been an earthquake. The feel of the temple has been rent from the top to the bottom. And now all eyes are fixed and centralized and focused on him. Oh, that's where all our eyes should be this morning. Fixed, focused, centralized on the bleeding Christ of God. They start to have a conversation. He was a righteous man. This was the Son of God. Here's the words that are the telltale signs. Truly this was. Notice, not this will be. Not this is. Truly this was the Son of God. You see, as to their mentality and their limited knowledge, and their finite minds, and their deadness in their spirit, for they are not born again. They look at Christ with worldly carnal eyes, and as they look at him, they see him dead. He has expired his life. He's dead. He's not fainted. He hasn't swooned. Neither is it a coma. Jesus is dead. This was. This was the Son of God. Many witnesses are around the cross to see our blessed Lord and our blessed Savior bleed and die. Turn with me to John's Gospel, please, chapter 19. John's Gospel, chapter 19. And let your eye run down to verse 32. We're still around the cross. We're reversing a a few moments here. Verse 32 says, Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus... And saw that he was dead already. They break not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side. And forthwith came there out blood and water. 
And he that saw it by record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. Now notice what he says here. Jesus is numbered with the transgressors. Jesus is a criminal in the eyes of the world. Jesus is crucified between two thieves. And when they come, they break the legs of one, for they were not allowed to stay on the cross, for the Jews called it a high day. It was a high Sabbath day, or holy day as they called it. Take down the criminals and get rid of them. Get them out of our sight. But they're not dead yet. Break their legs, the Romans said, and it will hasten them on to death. So they come to the first soldier and they smash his legs. And the weight of it and the stress of it and the trauma of it puts that stress on his heart that he has hastened into death. And when they come to our Lord, they look at him and it says, when they saw that he was dead already, they break out his legs. And then they go on, they break the others. They break the two legs of the, of the two thieves and then Jesus is dead already. Here is something we must look at this morning. These Roman soldiers were men of war. Now when you got a group of Roman soldiers going into war, they were trained that if one let their other, one, their other uh, soldiers down, if they let their colleagues down in battle, then after the battle they were put into the middle of a circle and all of them were run through with everyone's sword. No mercy was shown. No grace was given. They were slaughtered by their own people because they didn't do a proper job and they let down their other fellow colleagues and soldiers. Now what we must look at is these men were Roman soldiers of war and they were men who were trained in the strictest of manner. Men with little to no conscience at all about expiring someone's life. If Jesus had just swooned, if Jesus had just fainted or passed into some coma-like state or into some trance, then if they had said he's dead already and Jesus had tricked them, these men knew for an absolute fact that they were in deep, dire difficulty and trouble. For their centurion was standing who himself proclaimed, truly this was the Son of God. But he was standing and giving out orders. Break their legs. Hasten them on to death. And they didn't break his legs. If he had a swooned and then had a resuscitated if he had have come around from what was happening on the cross, they were even maybe going to be punished unto death. So these soldiers had to be meticulous. Let's make sure that this man is dead. Notice what it says in verse 33 of John 19. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. See the word here for dead, dead already. It's a Greek word, thnesko. And thnesko means to die unto death. Be dead. 
That's the way it goes. To die unto death, be dead. And when they saw that he had hung bleeding and dying unto death, and he was dead. Just like you know what it's like to lose a loved one when they're dead. Lifeless, dead, their life was gone, expired. They saw that in the Lord Jesus Christ. The word Thnaisko comes from a root word, which meaning means belonging to death. In other words, when they came and they looked at the Lord Jesus Christ and saw that he belonged to death. Think about this now. The Lord Jesus hanging on a cross. He who was the giver of life. The entire life of the universe in him was light. And the light was the life of man. And now death has claimed him as its own. You know why? Because you sinned. Because of your nature. Because of mine. And he took it in his own body. Notice, in his own body on the tree. Jesus belonged to death. He was a partaker of the nature of death. In other words, he did not take the form of an angel when he came, but of the seed of Abraham. He became fully human like you are. He felt pain And tiredness just like you do. He got thirsty like you do. He got hungry like you do. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And this same Jesus, death claimed him on the cross. And when he died, he was a corpse. That's the meaning of the word here for death. Let me strengthen this. He took the nature of death and himself, he that was the author of life. We'll not turn to it for time's sake, but in Luke chapter 8, you have the, the story of Jairus and her little, his little daughter. She's now sick and she dies. And that little one has died. His mom and, her mom and dad is, they're in a tremendous state. They're, they're, you can imagine the worst thing that you could ever have has come into that family. And we're told that the man, as he's seeking the master, a servant comes and says in Luke 8 and verse 49, Thy daughter is dead, trouble not the master. The servant was using the same root word from Thnesco, and he means your daughter has been sick and she's got worse. I hate to tell you this, but she's dead. Now, you understand here what a family would feel like. She is dead. It's the exact same word used for Lazarus when Lazarus was sick in John chapter 11. And if you read John 11 when you go home, Lazarus is sick unto death. He dies. And you'll find the words death in verse 39, 41, and 44. Lazarus, you're dead. In the tomb, four days. You're wrapped up in your swaddling clothes, as it were. You're lying in your grave. 
there's no hope for you. By now he stinketh for after three days they believe that the body would decay. Lazarus is dead. I want you to get this. Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who hung and bled and died, is the one who healed the sick. He's dead. It's the last enemy to be destroyed, the Bible tells us. And that last enemy to be destroyed will take you. Will take me. And launch us out into eternity. I trust you're saved this morning. I trust you're walking with the Savior this morning. Every one of us will go through this porthole. And Jesus went through the porthole of death. He walked the valley of the shadow of death for you and me. He was dead. In John chapter 19. John chapter 19 and verse 30. Let's read this. But when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Jews therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for the Sabbath day was in high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. And when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. But, do you know what, in our English language, what the word but is? It's a conjunctive word. If that's, if my memory serves me right, that's the right term. It's where things change. It's, a, it's where here they're on a course breaking legs of the two other victims, the two thieves on the cross. They break one, then the other one. And when they come to Jesus, they see that he's dead already. But, and it changes their course, changes their actions. The English language gives the idea, it swings things about differently. But, the wages of sin is death. That's our course. That's our way. That's our action. That's where we follow. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It changes our course when you and I are in Christ, blood washed and blood bought. We're told they come says, but one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came there out blood and water. And so we sing, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. 
And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. I want to read something to you this morning. Try and listen as I read this. It's, I've brought something like this before on the physical side of the death of our Lord on the cross. But here's something about the piercing of his side on the cross. Sometimes we tend to get the idea that a little spear was punctured maybe under the rib an inch or two and he started to bleed and there's a, a slice the size, of, uh, uh, the size of a few fingers that could fit in and, and blood came out just to make sure. And listen folks, they didn't break the legs of our Lord for they fulfilled prophecy without knowing it. A bone of him shall not be broken was the prophecy. They fulfilled prophecy without even knowing it. And the Lord changed their course. He was still in charge when his son was on the cross. Listen to this. Dr. John Lyle Cameron. This was written in 1947. This is on the the piercing of our Lord's side from a medical perspective. The Roman soldier would be well trained, proficient and would know his duty. He would know which part of the body to pierce in order that he might obtain a speedily fatal result or ensure that the victim was undeniably dead. He would thrust through the left side of the chest a little below the center. Here he would penetrate the heart and the great blood vessels at their origin and also the lung. On the side, the soldiers standing below our crucified Lord, as he hung on the cross, would thrust upward under the left ribs. The broad, clean-cutting, two-edged spearhead would enter the left side of the upper abdomen, which would would open the greatly distended stomach, would pierce the diaphragm, would cut wide open the heart and the great blood vessels, arteries and veins, now fully distended with blood, and would lacerate the lung. The wound would be large enough to permit the open hand to be thrust into it. Blood from the greatly engorged veins, pulmonary vessels, and dilated right side of, right side of the heart, together with the water from the acutely dilated stomach, would flow forth in abundance. The whole event is described by St. John, as described by St. John, must indeed have happened, for no writer could have presented in such coherent detail so recognizable an event unless he or someone had actually witnessed it and its occurrence. When they pierced the side of Jesus, they went in first, then up through his stomach, his abdomen, right through his heart, his arteries, his veins, and right into his lungs. They tore the lot the whole way through. And when they twisted that spear and pulled it out again, The blood and the water flowed from his side. Do you think he's dead? 
Listen to what John says, John 19, verse 35. And he that saw it by record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith is true, that ye might believe. This is that you might believe, that we might believe in his death. I'm wrapping this up. Thank you for your attention. Give me a couple of moments and I'll, I'll, I'll finish. In John chapter 19, verse 32, two times it speaks of the body of Jesus. In John chapter 19 and verse 40, once it says the body of Jesus. In John chapter 20 and verse 12, once it says the body of Jesus. That's just John's account. The word body here is the word soma. And soma means the physical nature of the thing. The physical nature of the thing, that which identifies. When they took him down, they knew who they were taking down. And when they carried him to the tomb, they knew who they were carrying to the tomb. And when they laid him in the tomb, they knew whom they were laying in the tomb. And when they sealed him in the tomb, they knew whom they were sealing in the tomb. They recognized his body. They knew him by sight and by sound, but now they see him and they recognize him. His soma, his whole physical outline, it was Jesus. He was dead. Hebrews 2.9 says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Here we have, for the suffering of death and tasting death. The suffering from death, the word death is a similar word. It's thanatio, same as thnesco, it's a similar sort of word. That means he suffered and became dead. We see Jesus who suffered and was taken by death or who entered the nature of death. He's now crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death. Taste his word, guiomahi. And it simply means to eat and to experience death. The doctor gives a bad report. Says there's no chance. It becomes real to you. It lands at your door. It becomes frightful and fearful. And the doctor comes and says, we can do nothing for you. Death starts. The nature of it. And men and women. It started with Christ. And he allowed it to take him. And he went to the tomb. He was dead. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. And buried, he carried my sins far away.
rising, he justified. Freely forever. One day he's coming. Oh, glorious day. He died. He was dead. This morning, Jesus, we celebrate that when they went to the tomb for they knew he was dead, that they said, why seek ye the living among the dead? You know what the Greek says? Why? It's a surprise to us. Do you not believe what he says? Why are you seeking the living one? It says in the Greek. Why are you seeking the living one? Jesus, he's alive, he says. Why seek ye the living one among the dead ones? And here's the thing for you, brother and sister. See, if you're a church and you were to go to a church and it's dead and there's no spirit in it, and there's no truth in it, and there's no word in it, you're seeking the life among dead. You should be a place where the Lord is Lord and where the Spirit is moving. For he is not here. He is risen, he says. Jesus is alive and we serve a risen Savior. Bless his holy name this morning. And he will cause you and I to be caught up and changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye in his return again. I'm going to start preaching part two. You better get home. That's... Bless his holy name. I'm going to start preaching part two. Hallelujah. Bless his name. Hallelujah. Getting excited. David, this is definitely off this one, is it? We're going to have to use hymn books, folks, again. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll sing, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. It's 596. And we'll receive the Lord's tithe and offering. And could I please ask you to come? Come tonight. We're going to do part two of this on the resurrection. I'm going to show you how John. I'm going to look at four witches of John's letter. There's four witches in it. Where are they? Coming here tonight. And it talks about the resurrection. Witches of the resurrection. Witches of the body of Christ. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord.